Do you have trouble making decisions? What have you learned in recovery about making decisions? Welcome to episode 354 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Ronnie, Richard, Sheila, Shilpa, Gloria, and Suzanne. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Ronnie, Richard, Sheila, Shilpa, Gloria, and Suzanne for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we'd like to state that in this show, we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you'll find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer. I'm your host today. Joining me today is Eric. Welcome back, Eric, to The Recovery Show. Good morning, Spencer, and happy Easter Sunday. It is. Happy Easter for you, too. You picked some short readings here from How Al-Anon Works. Indeed, I did. So this is page 50 in the soft cover. It is in the obvious place under step three. First paragraph, page 50. So we choose differently. We make a decision, a commitment to take all of our concerns and feelings, worries, fears, resentments, loves, dreams, wishes, thoughts, choices, and relationships. In short, our will and our lives and place them in the care of a God of our understanding. We don't have to figure anything out, know what the results will be, or even feel comfortable letting go of our efforts to control. All we need to do is make a decision. By making such a commitment, we stop setting ourselves up for the failure we have known in the past when we've tried to manipulate people and events that were beyond our control. Instead, we make the decision to, quote, turn it over. That's the first one. Um, and obviously, step three is all about making a decision. We're going to get deeper into the whole process. The next reading is page 69 in the soft cover, which is under the slogans section. And the slogan just for today speaks about obviously living in the present. It has a series of paragraphs quoted, and many of us see those little bookmark cards in meetings. And it has a list of all of the things that uh, we can do just for today such as just for today, I will be happy. Just for today, I will adjust myself to what is. But the paragraph that spoke to me and what really prompted the idea for this episode was this one. And it says, just for today, I will have a program. I may not follow it exactly, but I will have it. I will save myself from two pests, hurry and indecision. That's where I started with this topic was indecision. The enemy of serenity, I've also read, is hurry and indecision. And then the last reading is page 104, and it is in chapter 16, 12 Traditions is the name of the chapter, Guidelines for Working, Living, and Growing Together. Second paragraph says, that's why many of us are relieved to learn that no one in Al-Anon is standing over us, rule book in hand, waiting for errors. No one will tell us to leave if we don't work the program, quote, correctly, if we say, quote, the wrong thing or make, quote, wrong decisions. Alanon doesn't work that way. So. Goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness. 
Yeah. Okay. As usual, we have definitions to start with. The first one, I think, is the one that really speaks to me about what we're going to talk about today. We'll see. It says, a choice that you make about something after thinking about several possibilities. I like that definition because it outlines a process that I might not have even thought about when I was in the chaos before I found recovery, before I found this program. Thinking about several possibilities implies that you take a pause and figure out what several possibilities might be. And then you think about them. And then you make a choice. Now, the next one, on the other hand, the ability to decide quickly and without pausing because you are not certain. Oh, yeah. In some cases, you got to do that, right? I'm driving down the highway and I have to go left or right. And I'm not sure which one I should take. I still got to pick one. Yeah, pretty quickly. I can't stop. That's a really bad idea. But that speaks to me more about the way that I felt early. There was something that I thought I had to decide about right away, and I didn't know what the answer was. But I have to make a choice. I have to decide. Uh, So we'll talk about probably that particular kind of feeling that's indecision and hurry. And the third one is a neutral definition, something you choose, a choice. No pressure. Yeah, so three different definitions that look at different aspects of making a decision. Now, you picked that reading about indecision and hurry. You want to talk about that? Yeah, so again, when I reach out to you about a potential topic, it's almost always, I wouldn't even say usually, it's always something that I'm struggling with. It was about a month ago that I had to make a very hard decision, one that would end potentially and most likely end a really important relationship with a loved one. So I used some of our tools, thank God, that I have in my box, which is when in doubt, don't. And I was in doubt. I was absolutely in doubt that I was doing the right thing because the decision was to leave a relationship that I was pretty committed to, but I was being triggered a lot. So I reasoned it out with some friends. I didn't do anything quickly. I used when in doubt, don't again. And eventually came to a decision about what to say that was honest and direct. And it was, again, I have a problem with your drinking. I have a problem with your drinking, with the way you behave when you're drinking. I don't exactly remember the wording, but Mm -hmm. as suspected, it pretty much ended that relationship. Now, I would say in this case, I closed the door. I didn't slam it. In the past, I would have made a hasty decision in the heat of the moment and lashed out. So even though I made a decision that was really difficult, painful, and sad, I continue to have some degree of a relationship with this person. But as we said in just for today, I don't know what tomorrow may bring, and I'm open to it. I'm going to remain open-minded. So that was what prompted this chair on and which I did in a meeting back about three weeks, like I said, ago. And I scribbled a bunch of notes. So, yeah, that's where it started. And I think I've grown some from looking into it. Yeah, so I want to build on that a little bit. When I came to this program, the decision I thought I had to make 
right away was whether to stay in my marriage or at least to stay living in the same house with my active alcoholic wife. And as you said, I was told I could just sit there if I didn't know what was the right decision for me. And if I was okay for today, I heard that too. Like you could make the decision for today. You don't have to make the decision forever. And if today you're okay, then you can wait. And when tomorrow comes, if you're not okay, then maybe you have to change things. So one day at a time, am I okay staying married today? Yes. Okay. I paused for two years, <laughs> basically. It was about that. It was about two years that I had to pause before I knew what the answer was. And the support that I got from the program, the tools that I learned here definitely made it easier to decide, yes, today I can stay. So yeah, don't just do something, sit there. It ought to be a slogan. We have yeah. these things that ought to be a slogan. Don't just do something, sit there. Yeah, and when in doubt, don't. I should, you know. When in doubt, don't. I think that should be a slogan as well. Yeah. And I think the entire phrase, figure it out is not a slogan, should be a slogan. Some of the other notes I made when I shared on this, which was at that moment very fresh. I don't know what I meant by this really, but I wrote my heart, wrote a check that my head can't cash. I was letting my heart run my decision making and I finally had to step out of it for a few minutes and reach out to people and reason it out. To see that I can't allow that to happen anymore, where I'm just I'm being dragged around by my heart. I really have to look at the entire arch of the relationship to decide what to do. It brought me to the three A's, and I set awareness, acceptance, and action. I was aware, certainly, that I was being triggered. Now, numerous times, after this relationship was going on for maybe eight months, and two or three times before that, I walked away, but hadn't really completely thought this isn't right for me until about a month ago, at least the way it was at that moment. So I had to sit in acceptance for several days and it became uncomfortable because I'm thinking in my head, if indecision is the enemy of serenity, then I should just decide. It's a contradiction. If indecision and hurry are the enemy, then hurrying is making a hasty decision. So I got stuck there a little bit in the acceptance. I had to marinate in it for three or four days and really reason it out with two or three other program guys. So, you know, that moment where I was not making a decision as my sponsor aptly pointed out, Eric, that is a decision, right? You're deciding I'm not ready to make a decision. That's a healthy decision. You're not ready. So ask for guidance, reach out. I don't have to decide to do anything this moment. Yeah. So that's what led to the whole kind of dichotomy of the two readings, the enemy of serenity is indecision, and then making a decision. I want to think a little bit about what indecision says to me and what this, if the enemy of serenity is indecision and hurry. And I think indecision as expressed there for me means that state of mind when I'm feeling like I have to make a decision, but I don't know what to decide. And when I give myself permission to pause, then I'm not sitting in indecision. I have decided to wait. So I've ended that, that 
I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. State of mind that I was in, which is definitely the enemy of serenity. This is a great time to play this voicemail from Carol. This is Carol. And the topic of indecision. Indecision is caused for me by feeling like it's not okay not to know. If I'm caught in indecision, I'm, I'm worrying or obsessing about outcomes rather than just doing a step three and turning it over, then seeing a decision as a way to have a direction as opposed to a, a destination. So it's a process. It's so calming to turn it over at first and then just exercise my values. If I get it wrong or I do something stupid, I can correct it or move towards correcting it. The main thing for me is not getting caught in obsessive thinking. I think she says it just really well what I was trying to say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah direction versus a destination. Wow, that's a great one. Yeah. The other phrase I wrote down is, if it isn't, actually... A slogan it should be, which is urgent things are seldom important. Important things are seldom urgent. And, you know, that allows me some room to wait. When in doubt, don't. And and the answer was, if I'm not ready, I don't know. You know, I think that should be a slogan. I don't know. I don't yeah. know is a perfectly acceptable answer. I'm confronted or forced to make a decision or no as a complete sentence. That's what I was about to say. We had that, yeah. that episode, no, as a complete sentence. I don't know is a complete sentence. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Let me get back to you. You sent me a link. I just want to mention this at this yeah. point to an article on the art of manliness. And that name always grabs me. Like <laughs> it feels somehow negative, but what he's talking about is how to be a whole man, not to be like this manly man. Anyway, a whole person, a yeah. whole person. And this article is titled the Eisenhower decision matrix, how to distinguish between oh. urgent and important tasks and make really real progress in your life. And he talks about the difference between urgent and important. Yeah, it's really good. It says urgent tasks require immediate action. They put us in a reactive mode, one marked by a defensive, negative, hurried, and narrowly focused mindset. Important tasks are things that contribute to our long-term mission, values, and goals. Sometimes important tasks are also urgent, but typically they're not. When we focus on important activities, we operate in a responsive mode, which helps us remain calm, rational and open to new opportunities. He, he breaks tasks up into four quadrants, things that are important and urgent, important and not urgent, not important and urgent, and not important in the not urgent and not important quadrant. This is the ones that I want to avoid doing to have serenity <laughs> in my life. Phone calls, text messages, most emails. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, oh man, my phone beeps and I'm like, gotta look at it. Which is why when I'm in a meeting, which is definitely important, usually not urgent. Sometimes a meeting's urgent because it's like, oh my God, I got to get to a meeting. But usually it's important to be there, but it's not urgent to be there. I put my devices on silent. So if anybody sends me a text message or whatever, I will see it after the meeting. And I can give myself permission to take that time. But this idea of, okay, here's a thing that I have to make a decision whether to work on this thing right now. Is it important? 
Is it urgent? Is it urgent and important? What happens if I don't do it? What happens if I don't read this text? Maybe it is important and urgent. I'm not getting an example right now, but certainly, certainly there are examples. How about you? How do you distinguish those? Yeah, I also turn off all my notifications for anything but a text. I still have the text ding and also a flashing light on my phone. I don't know how to get rid of that. I was at, I was at a, out to dinner last night with a friend I was with. I said, what is your phone doing? It looks like a disco ball over there because <laughs> it has a, the, the, the flash strobe light goes off. I, so I'm not there yet to be able to turn off the strobe and the ping. I can silence it. I got to get rid of that light. I now have taken the approach that if it's urgent, that someone's going to call. It's not going to be a text message. With for, typically, it's not a text. I'm in the hospital in the ER. You got to call me urgently. Pick, they'll call the phone. They won't text that. If my arm's been chopped off. They're not going to text me that. But the, the next paragraph in that Eisenhower thing was pretty cool. It says it's a pretty intuitive distinction. Yet most of us frequently fall into the trap of believing that all urgent activities are also important. This propensity likely has roots in our evolutionary history. Our ancestors concentrated more on short-term concerns than long-term strategy as tending to immediate stimuli, like a charging saber-toothed cat, tiger, could mean the difference between life and death. Yeah. So I've taken to not immediately responding to every stimuli or every input I get, I, I wait and give it thought. And this is really what our entire, for me, what my entire program is about is not reacting. Taking time to think about what is a decision that I can make that is in my best interest, my, my spiritual best interest, my physical best interest, that protects me and feels right. And it's not always easy. It is not, especially when faced with something that is important. When I you know, started this notion of the topic, which was indecision yeah. and hurry, yeah. there aren't any readings that directly speak to that in our books. And I looked again and I looked again and making decisions that every book has many readings on that because a lot of us didn't feel we had choices. If you think about it, our books are about recovering. And so the they tend to present solutions right. rather than problems. You want to read the contribution from Chad, who was like the first one to respond? When yeah. I sent out the email saying, hey, we have this topic. Yeah, well, he was in the morning meeting when I shared on the topic. So he'd already thought about it. So let's see. Chad says, and he numbers them all. One, is the decision a permanent one or a temporary one? A twist on the urgent, important dimensions, if it's permanent, I tend to take a little more time to reason things out. But I also try to self-impose a deadline, even if it's to keep making progress in the deliberations, so it doesn't turn into procrastination or paralysis. And a couple of other enemies of serenity. Procrastination and paralysis, that's all my interjection. Number two, is it an invisible, intangible, quote, mental decision that only lives in my head? Serenity, e.g., made a decision to turn our will and life over to the care of a higher power. It doesn't mean I have to turn it over yet. Versus a decision that manifests in something tangible, visible, audible, or that I share with another person. Example, I take action on it to express my decision in words or deeds. Because in my recovery, that actually breaks down into two decisions. The mental decision and the decision to take action or say, share something about it. 
Breaking it down makes it smaller steps and feels less overwhelming and easier to make and track progress. For example, he goes on, making a decision to get a divorce feels more permanent than temporary, so deserves an appropriate amount of deliberation and discussion with higher power a sponsor or trusted friend's family, he puts in parentheses, and breaking it down into smaller steps. Example, decide to consider a divorce, decide to get a divorce, decide to take action and file papers, etc. I also, I encourage my children to, quote, never make a permanent decision to a temporary problem. That's a great line, huh? And that is especially true when it comes to depression or suicide or addiction. No matter how bad things get, it's important to remember that it's not a permanent condition. And the lower you are, the easier it is to improve the situation because the bar is so low. So that brings me to my last point. When making a decision, perspective really matters, both in terms of time permanency as well as consulting others' perspectives to get clear on our own. Chad. Thanks, Chad. A lot in there, huh? Yes. One of the things that stood out for me, and probably, obviously, because of the decision I was trying to make early in my program, making a decision to get a divorce feels more permanent than temporary, so deserves an appropriate amount of deliberation and discussion with higher power sponsor or trusted friends and family. Yes, absolutely. And I encourage my children to never make a permanent decision to a temporary problem. That was something that we asked our children when they were still children to please don't do anything permanent before you're an adult. Like, oh, get pregnant. Yeah. There were some other things we were asking them not to do, get a tattoo and stuff like that. that. Too. I've been through that with my daughter and sure enough, she came home with this thing on her ankle. Yeah. <laughs> two, I mean, two episodes referenced in these last two shares. That's a generational difference, I think. Yeah. Us boomer types did not grow up with that as a normal thing. And yeah. today, everybody's got them, seems like. I don't, but yeah. anyway. You can dye your hair purple. It's, you know, it's not permanent. You can get a perm. That's actually not, not permanent. permanent either. <laughs> it grows out. That's the thing. Like There are a lot of things you can do. A temporary permanent. That are temporary, and if you decide you don't like them, you can change them. And so there two, are a few things you can do that you can't back out once it's happened. Choices and perspective are the two episodes that come to mind. You and I did both of those. Yeah. You could have wrote some questions here. Are you okay with asking for help, guidance, suggestions? Who do you turn to when in doubt about making a decision? Again, that is something I think has changed significantly for me in the years I've been in recovery. I am a guy. And you know what they say about guys and asking for help. And it was pretty much true. Like I had figured out myself. I had to get lost because I couldn't ask for directions. If I couldn't figure it out from the map, I was not going to stop at a gas station and ask for directions. This is back in the day when that was no GPS or whatever. Who do you turn to when in doubt about making a decision? Well, I'm going to come back to that big one. What I did, and I don't recall like explicitly asking for help or guidance or suggestions, but I did take guidance and suggestions, like the guidance of you don't have to decide right away. And I listened to the decisions that other people had made in a similar place and listened to them talk about how it had or hadn't worked for them, what was good, what was not so good. And I could take that in and let it process. And also spending some time in prayer and meditation. 
I don't know what to do. Give me some guidance. What is God's will in this situation? Or what is what does my higher power suggest to me in this situation if I want to put it in a non-God term? And that has been a huge change. How about yourself? When I was struggling with making a very difficult decision, I did exactly those. I, I reached out to my sponsor. I reached out to other people whose opinions and thoughts I value. They work their program. They have gone through similar situations. And it, and why do we go to the rooms? Because we want to hear about other people and how they have handled difficult situations. And typically, that's about decision-making. I, I decide to not make a decision right now, yeah. to reason it out with someone else, to actually sit there in the rocking chair and enjoy the back and forth for a little while instead of being frustrated that I'm getting nowhere. Actually going nowhere for a little bit of time is healthy when I'm not sure which direction to go. The Cheshire Cat. Alice is in Wonderland, and she gets to the Cheshire Cat and asks, which way should I go? And of course, the Cheshire Cat says, where are you going? And she says, I don't know. And of course, the answer is, then take either way. I was at that fork and didn't know where to go. So rather than just randomly charging ahead, and getting nowhere, I decided to just sit there at the cross in the road for a while and reason it out with some other people. And I asked my higher power. Inevitably, my sponsor comes back and says, what does your higher power suggest? So I just, as my typical prayer these days, is just God help me. He knows what I'm trying to decide, help me with. I don't have to be specific. Just ask for help. That's the biggest change in my program is... I'm okay asking for help, and I don't know is a perfectly acceptable answer. Yeah. I want to come back to that question, where are you going? But first, I want to read the email from Bruce. And I love that he starts out, I've been watching myself the last few days with how I proceed with my behaviors regarding decision-making. This, is again, is something that I certainly learned in program. Watch myself. Awareness. We can call it inventory. We can call it self-awareness. Again, not something I did very much, except maybe in retrospect. And then it was like, why did I do that? So I've been watching myself. I have observed my behaviors aren't always pretty, sometimes petty, and my execution isn't always perfect. But compared to my old pre-Alanon days of not making decisions, I now feel good about making progress. I think that is significant growth for me, worth the price of admission. Yup. I was one of the folks who tried to only make decisions to appease or pacify the alcoholic in my life. I treated my own feelings and needs as those of a second-class, maybe even third-class citizen. I wanted to make the perfect choice in every situation. He spells it out in all caps. P-E-R-F-E-C-T. That's like a cheer or something, isn't it? It's a chant. P-E-R-F-E-C-T. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Oh, perfection. Yes. (laughs) Perfect choice, which usually was contrary to the alcoholic's wishes or thinking, mainly to shut them up and get off my back and look perfect to them. In that way, they would then love me back the way I wanted them to behave towards me. I heard a quote the other day that was appropriately me. Trying to reason with an alcoholic or addict is like trying to blow out a light bulb. <laughs> yep, that is how Never I felt. Never heard that. Expending, that is how I felt, expending lots of energy on an impossible task. So to keep the peace in the situation, I learned to defer my own personality and life and made choices by sometimes not making choices. This behavior did not work out well for me. 
I became and behaved negatively toward others, learned not to trust myself or them, and generally was miserable on the inside, which mostly leaked out of me no matter how hard I tried to keep all those feelings of anger and resentment, shame and guilt bottled up inside me. Yesterday, I got some emails from an individual in my office who needed information on older projects. I immediately felt resentful and harsh and was almost ready to suggest they F.O. and do the work themselves. I chose wisely and did nothing last evening. This morning, in the light of day and the power of guidance, I was able to see my responsibility in this and chose to do the necessary work and then was not feeling angry or challenged or resentful. What a gift. Thank you, Bruce. Wow. So much good stuff in there. What uh, stood out for you? Gosh, I've known Bruce for a long time. He and I were sitting in a meeting a Saturday morning, many 24 hours ago. And the last share, as I recall it, the last share of the day, it probably wasn't, but I remember it so vividly, it seemed like it was the crescendo to the meeting, was something along the lines of battling with alcoholics and trying to outwit and outfox and outrun and avoid, justify, argue, defend, explain to, right, Jade. The guy just finished his share by saying, you know what, I don't have to win anything today. Bruce and I looked at each other and we're like, oh my God, that was worth the price of admission. I don't have to win anything today. That takes the pressure off. I don't have to decide anything today. I don't have to lose anything. I don't, you know, I'm okay doing nothing today if I need to take time. Yeah, what a gift. I also, I identified with the making decisions to appease or pacify the alcoholic in my life. I would extend that to making decisions to appease or pacify everybody else in my life. I treated my own feelings and needs as those of a second-class citizen because that was my codependency in action. Like, I want you to feel good about what I decide Even if what I decide has nothing to do with you, that was my mode of operation. That is not a formula for serenity and happiness, especially when you're in a relationship with an alcoholic or an addict who is active in their addiction. Just not because I spent all my time, I won't say all my time, but it felt like all my time trying to make her happy trying to keep her from drinking because I thought that would make her happy, would make me happy. None of that worked. Feelings of anger, resentment, shame, and guilt bottled up inside me. And as I have said, they just exploded out on on other people all the time. Yeah. Trying to reason with an addict alcoholic is like trying to blow out a light bulb. I've also shared this many times. I had, I'm sorry, tattooed on my forehead, it felt like. I apologize for everything because I was blamed for everything, you know, and I I no longer allow those choices to be made for me. I'm not in charge of the weather, the traffic, and what the people do driving in front of me. I'm just not. (laughs) I'm not going to apologize for it. Or maybe even more trying to blow out a bonfire. Actually make it bigger. You're going to make it bigger. Yeah, and it actually makes it bigger. Exactly. Fire fire breathes on oxygen. Yeah, I said I was going to come back to this Cheshire Cat question, where are you trying to go? Because you're right. He's right. If I don't know where I'm trying to go, any road will get me there. So I was thinking about another big decision that came up recently for me, which is about retirement. I hit that magic 65 number, which when I was young, 
Like you worked till you were 65 and you retired. That was like the retirement age. And so this had been coming up for me. Okay, do I want to retire? When do I want to retire? What do I want to do when I retire? Can I afford to retire? I let it percolate. I let it sit. I said, I'm happy and satisfied in my job right now. I like what I'm doing. I feel like I'm contributing. But I'm starting to get a little tired. The days are getting a little longer, in a sense. So it's going to happen. And there were some things that had to happen along the way to help me make the decision. Like I said, can I afford to retire? I have a retirement fund that has been building up over 40 years now. They have financial advisors. And so we went to the financial advisor a couple of years ago, almost now, and walked through some scenarios and said, yeah, hey, look, I can't afford to retire. Cool. That takes one uncertainty out of my head. We tossed around some numbers and some dates and concluded that for me, 2023 might be a good year to retire. So I went to my boss and said, look, I'm looking at retirement. And right now I'm looking at, this was last year, two years ago, I'm looking at 2023. So four years out, we need to work on succession planning for me. And that actually becomes my primary personal goal for the next two years now. Oh my God. And so what's important What's important is that I leave my team able to continue without me. That's a scary thought. That's important. What's urgent is all the little things that come up every day. But by by coming back to this, where am I going? When I didn't know where I was going, when I didn't know when I was going to retire, I just knew it was out there somewhere. Was I going to work till I collapsed or what? No, I'd rather plan for it and I'd let, rather retire where I still have some energy left that I can do fun things while I'm retired. But before I had a decision, there was a lot of uncertainty. There was a lot of, there wasn't really worry, but it was one of those things that sits in the back of your head and nags at you a little bit. And then I was able to take some steps that led to what feels like a decision. I haven't drawn a line in the sand and said I won't go past here. And I haven't said I'm going to stick it out till I get there if things change. But there was a huge relief in coming to that decision of, okay, now I have a date that I'm aiming for. I have a, a goal. And now I can figure out what path, what road I need to take to get there. Cheshire Cat. I found it when I'm faced with a really tough decision that I more often than not now have a plan B. If the first one either is very poorly received. I have a fallback and that gives me comfort and strength, first of all, to make the decision because if it goes sideways completely, I have a second approach, a different perspective. And okay, then how about this? It's as simple as that. If then what? If not that, then how about this? And it's just an easier way to live. It is just much more calming for me. Yeah. I think, what about if that doesn't work out? Is there an alternative to that? And that helps also in moving ahead and not getting stuck. Definitely. And that comes back to this first definition, right? A choice that you make about something after thinking about several possibilities. There you go. And like you said, yeah, most decisions that we make, there is a plan B and maybe a plan C. Occasionally you commit to something and you can't back out. Or the cost of backing out is pretty severe. I want to play this voicemail from Heather. 
Hey there, Spencer. This is Heather from California, and I'm really excited about this episode on decision versus indecision. A great topic that's actually been coming up for me quite a bit lately. Thinking back to when I came into the program, at that time, I had grown up in the family disease of chaos and inconsistency. And so I grew up really only being able to trust my my need to take control of situations and place myself in a you know, position of responsibility became one of my coping mechanisms because I really could only count on myself to do it or to do it right. And so when I was facing indecision, it was really because I either didn't know what I truly wanted or because I was always really concerned about people-pleasing or managing the emotions of other people. So I was never really in touch with my true self or even aware of my skewed emotions then. And I keep thinking about how I would sit in the spin of obsessive thinking that was either tied up in I should do X or Y, there's that word should, or it was filled with anxiety over having to have some conversation that I had to have because I was obviously attempting to prepare some forced solution and then hyper-analyze every little possible outcome of that conversation so that I could be prepared and look like I had all my act together at all times. I absolutely was never able to go with the flow, and I had to always be in a state of control. And I truly believe that if I didn't do something, if I didn't step up, then everything would be bad. And really, I see now that this illusion kept me rooted in perfectionism and self-righteousness and and judgment. I also recognized how I was so uncomfortable sitting in any state of discomfort, whether it was mine or someone else's. So my immediate instinct or urge was to fix because I just couldn't sit in the feelings that were so uncomfortable. And so in essence, I see now that I was really making myself the higher power. And thank goodness, Al-Anon has showed me a power greater than myself that I could rely on, that I could put my faith in and really understand that by building a relationship with that higher power, I continue regularly to receive proof and positive reinforcement that my higher power has solutions that are far beyond my wildest dreams. And that really helps me with that. It takes work to get to the part about faith. I didn't immediately jump in, but I do believe that now I can use it as a tool in my toolbox. And anytime I'm starting to go into that spin, that spiral of obsessive thinking because I'm human and I do have distorted thinking, I can pull out that tool and go, no, I have the proof. I was just having an outreach call recently where the person was really having a hard time arresting her obsessive thinking on a specific issue. She kept asking me, how do you just know? It was like my higher power literally sent me an answer in that moment. I believe that I am in my self-will and distorted thinking when I'm in the questioning phase. And I don't mean like the same questioning that might be healthy. I mean the insane questioning that keeps me in perpetual disease, that steals my focus and interrupts my life. I've One example of that is I spent basically a solid year questioning my indecision over leaving my husband. 
everyone in the program told me, stop focusing on that, start focusing on working my program. And my obsession was strong. Then the pandemic hit. And so basically I was forced to work at home where I could no longer be distracted from my contribution to our home life. And I started going to Zoom meetings about one to two times or more a day. And I started focusing on myself. And one day I had this moment with my husband that was ugly. And so I took a pause. I went out for a walk. And this miraculous sense of peace just washed over me. I had a moment of knowing. I just knew what my guidance was for my higher power. And I had zero fear. So for me, when I'm in a state of questioning versus knowing, or chaos versus calm, or self-will versus God's will, I know the only answer for me is to stop, to do nothing, to work my program, and find a way to surrender until the decision becomes clear. And I have to let go of the results. And I can do that easier today through the program because I truly believe that my higher power has solutions waiting for me that are beyond my wildest dreams. It's just my job to be willing and ready and open to receive it when it's time. Thanks for letting me share that today. Thank you, Heather. I highlighted so many things in in Heather's share, but I'm going to start with what spoke to you in there. Eric. Oh boy, a lot. She's just obsessive thinking and miracles. What is for me another one of our episodes a couple Christmases ago, do you believe? I really do believe that when I ask for help, I get it. And if I don't stop and ask for it, I'm certainly not going to get it. And that break that she took to go outside and walk around and then feeling this miraculous release, uh, that is possible. And it does happen when I ask for help. I get the relief. I'm relieved from indecision. When I take enough time to sit in my discomfort or go outside and take a walk, move a muscle, change a thought, reach reach out, make a program call, I'm relieved from the discomfort of indecision because I feel instinct and guidance really just flow to me when I'm really asking for help. And my prayer is simply God help me, like I often say. So yeah, every day, proven positive enforcement that my higher power has solutions that are far beyond my wildest dreams. There she said it. That's it. Yeah. I just got to ask and believe and have faith. I highlighted a bunch of things that I identified with. And it looked like I had my act together at all times. If I didn't do something, if I didn't step up, then everything would be bad. I had to be the higher power. She says that. I see now that I was really making myself the higher power. And thank goodness, Alan has showed me a power greater than myself that I could rely on. And I highlighted a bunch of other stuff. <laughs> I think I've talked about a lot of them before, or you just talked about them. So we'll move forward. But thank you. Thank you, Heather. We got some like slogans and acronyms here that can help. This one, WAIT, came up actually in a meeting yesterday. Why am I talking? The meeting yesterday, we were working out of the Blueprint for Progress book. We're in a chapter near the end where we're looking back at everything we've discovered. And the questions that we talked about on Saturday were about communication. What have you discovered about yourself around communication? And this slogan, why am I talking, came up. Wait, why am I talking? And I said, there's also waste. Why am I still talking? Never heard that. Oh, yeah. I, I, I thought I heard that from you, but I guess not. I heard it from no. somebody on the podcast. Why am I still talking? 
Yeah, which the version of that was sometimes I can go Al and on and on. <laughs> yes, I'm in the on and on and on program. Yeah, <laughs> but sometimes uh, I'm talking because the silence scares me. Because if I shut up, then I have to sit with things, and I'm not comfortable doing that. I'm talking because I don't want to move from awareness into acceptance. I'm talking because I'm anxious and I don't want to pause. So that's one slogan. Why am I talking? Wait, okay. Uh, A friend of mine recently said he really likes Zoom meetings for this reason. He puts himself on mute so that when he feels like he needs to say something, he first has to reach for the mute button. And sometimes that short amount of time it takes for him to reach for and click on the mute button is long enough for him to say, wait a minute, I don't really need to say this. I'm like, I'm going to use that tool. That's a wonderful tool. It's an enforced pause. Or I can just talk and nobody knows what I'm saying. (laughs) I just have to get it out of my mouth. (laughs) Talk to myself. So you had some other acronyms here. You want to want to talk about one? Jade, when I feel like I have to justify, argue, defend, and explain. That's not decision-making. That's forced decision. That's defending. And I don't. I really try not to do that anymore. This one, I, I just th- I threw it into my email to you. I didn't even really know an acronym for it, but I looked it up, and sure enough, <clears throat> there's a great one, STOP. And it starts with STOP, TAKE, which means take a breath, take time, observe, and then proceed. And it's all about the pause, just taking time to observe, as Bruce said so eloquently in his share, observing my own behavior, observing what's actually happening, not what I think is happening, and really then processing it and proceeding only after mm-hmm. I take the pause mm-hmm. and stop. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a great one. Yeah, that sort of breaks down into smaller steps our awareness, acceptance, action, stop and take a few deep breaths moves me from awareness into the time it takes for me to reach acceptance. Observe is getting to the acceptance, right? Observe your experience just as it is, thoughts, feelings, and emotions. Thoughts are not facts. Oh, my goodness. And that can move me into acceptance, and then I can proceed, with some action or not, or, or no action. If I've decided that actually there's nothing I can do or there's nothing I have to do. Yeah, great. And there's a, there's an article that you link to, which I will put that link in the, in the show notes. I have one more thought before we go on to the next share. I looked up the link to that. T equals take. Oh, observe. S obviously is stop. It's really good. I hope to link to that breakdown of each one of those. Observe your experience just as it is, including thoughts, feelings, and emotions. You can reflect about what is on your mind and notice that thoughts are not facts. They are not permanent. Notice any emotions present. Then notice your body. Are you standing or sitting? How is your posture? Any aches and pains? Really good. This is just about complete awareness of where I am. It reminded me, and I think I shared this in the meeting, which was, and I circulated it to my half a dozen group of guys in program, and and it came back with a lot of great takes, which is the old story about the maybe so, maybe not. I think I even sent it to you, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. The farmer whose yeah. horse breaks free from his corral and the neighbors all come over and say, Oh my God, that's so terrible. Your horse got away. And he replies, maybe so, maybe not. We'll see. The horse comes back a few days later, brings four or five other wild horses with it. Everybody exclaims, Oh my God, it's a miracle. I'm, I'm just ecstatic. You now have seven horses. You only had one. And he replies, of course, maybe so, maybe not. We'll see. And it goes on and on. And his son tries to break one of the wild horses, breaks his leg. That's terrible. It's awful. Maybe so, maybe not. We'll see. And then the army comes by trying to recruit teenage boys, 17, 18 years old. He can't go because he's got a broken leg. So (laughs) reminded me of this. I don't know is a really good moment for me to say, let me think about that and until I'm comfortable. The thing I started the episode with was my story about a very difficult decision. I was speaking with somebody about my phrase, if I'm not the problem, there is no solution, right? That was the episode. So what I'm going to change it to now, instead of I have a problem with your X, Y, Z, whatever that may be, in this case, it was drinking and usually in the past, when I've had these difficult choices to make with a relationship, it has been the last few about that. I'm changing it to I am uncomfortable with something. Okay, fill in the blank. That makes me uncomfortable. Instead of I have a problem with that, which is also mm-hmm. true. I mean, mm-hmm. uncomfortable is a problem for me. I don't like being uncomfortable. I don't think anyone does. Yeah. But I'm going to start using that more often. I'm uncomfortable with yeah. that. And it's more of an I-centered statement, too. Instead of, you make me feel, which was in a reading I heard in a meeting recently. It's, I am uncomfortable with that. Yeah. Really good phrase. That should be a slogan there, too. <laughs> All right. You want to read the, the email from Kate? Kate. For me, the difference between indecision and a healthy pause is my own intention. Why am I not making a decision? Am I taking a pause in order to work my program? To me, that means pausing to reach out to my sponsor, pray, talk about the decision at meetings, and gather information. Or am I not making a decision because I've fallen into the trap of making, quote, just the right decision or, quote, choosing the right path, unquote? I've learned that when I trick myself into believing there's one perfect and right decision, I'm living in my disease and not the program. And many times my decision-making is motivated by fear. Wow, that's a great summation. Yeah, and I thought we just were talking about pause and that she unpacks that a little bit in an interesting way. Fear of making the wrong decision is often perpetuated in decision for me. Yeah, there it is. Which is why, for me, again, the tools of pause, the tool of uh, prayer and meditation to bring myself to a place where I'm comfortable with the decision or I'm comfortable with not yet making a decision. Yeah. All right. And Mark writes, decision-making is an area in my life where I saw early changes. Once I found my way into the rooms before then, if I ever thought about decision-making, it seemed mostly to be a question of how I made choices for and about other people's lives. When it came to decisions I made about myself, I led an unexamined life without consideration of what made me tick. Loved ones' addictions impelled me towards Al-Anon where I began to hear echoes and others sharing of something undefined and unclear in myself. As I worked through the steps, 
Fear emerged as a constant undertone in my life and was illuminated, a previously unacknowledged force. Fear channeled my thoughts, actions, and decisions always down certain roads that I had thought secure. When I felt myself removed to a safe distance from what was uncomfortable or fearsome to me, I seldom thought further about where I was actually headed. Wow. Just, oh, that whole paragraph. But I kept coming back to the rooms, kept listening, and kept working the steps. I heard, check your motives. And I realized that flight from fear was the prominent motivation that guided my decision-making. As I got more honest with myself, I recognized that even when I sought to make decisions for others, I acted out of fear. Not of the consequences to them, but how they might cause me discomfort. I was primarily motivated to protect myself, and my manifest compulsion to deny or retreat was not confined to myself. It was a holy mess. I was a holy mess. In Elanon, I learned to remove myself, not from others' lives, but from the things that were their business and not mine. Boundaries. That's my introduction. Boundaries. This left me with time on my hands and a new chance to make decisions about myself without it having to be in reaction or relation to others. It didn't come naturally or easily. But just as I borrowed from the fellowship the courage to let others go about their business, I also borrowed the courage and faith to turn what troubled me over to my higher power. With a new delineation of what was mine and what was not, I began to really examine my inner motives beyond identifying what frightened me. I had to work past my fears to find what I truly wanted and needed. I could accept that there will always be consequences beyond my control without it paralyzing me. I could take the time I needed to make better informed decisions and then be content with that, no matter the outcome. It was critical for me to first recognize and accept my fears because that resolved fear into a manageable dimension. When I had ignored or disavowed my fears, they went underground and assumed boundless scale and power, which distorted my thinking and deformed large parts of my life. Now I can take fear's measure and move on, and I've learned that if I become stuck, I can turn it over serenely. When I check my motives now, they are often much more in alignment with my thinking and my goals. Progress, not perfection. So well written, Mark. So much good stuff in there. So much I identify with. And I think one of the things that, that I'm learning today that I already knew, but I'm learning it again, is how much I'm not like terminally unique and terminally broken. Because there are lots of other people who have felt parts of the things that I don't like in myself, that I'm changing in myself, and have discovered tools that I'm now using. So thanks for writing, Mark. Wow, that's a great one maybe to wrap on. Yeah, and I think what he says about being content with that no matter the outcome, that is a totally a program tool, is making the best decision I can at the time and understanding that the outcome still may not be what I want, but that I will be okay. Yeah. After a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives and in our meetings. In our first musical selection, you sent this to me and said, this is too obvious. So let's go with <laughs> yeah. it anyway. You want to talk about it a little bit? Oh, yeah. The old headbanger, should I stay or should I go by the clash? darling, you got to let me know. Should I stay or should I go? If you say that you were mine, I'll be here till the end of time. So you got to let me know. Should I stay or should I go? Basically, he's asking someone else to make a decision. It is true. It's always tease, tease, tease. You're happy when I'm on my knees. I mean, every, yeah, yeah. <laughs> every, every verse, this indecision is bugging me. 
Don't you know which clothes even fit? Ah, come on and let me know. Should I cool it or should I blow? Yeah. Great. Good stuff. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, how we experienced recovery this week. I took a walk with a program friend yesterday morning after our morning meeting, and we walked for over an hour, and a good part of that time was spent with each of us talking about the things that are difficult in our lives right now. He has some stuff going on in his his life. I have some stuff going on in my life, and it was really good to have a person we could talk about it with, knowing that our anonymity would be respected, knowing that we're not going to take the gossip and share it with somebody else, because that is something that, that we learned in the program. Yeah, I need to keep coming back because I cannot do this alone. I cannot do life alone. I need support, and I get it here. So, how are you doing, Eric? How are you doing? Oof, okay. <laughs> Nothing earth-shattering for me. Uh, like I said, my, my big decision was about three weeks ago. And I've been doing my early bird meeting almost every morning, 7.30, 8.30 Eastern. Um, that has grown again. Up at, it's up at 65 to 70 now every morning. People in uh, Zoom, that's where I met Chad, who shared today. He and I were golfing last week, um, having a lot of fun out there, making uh, three three program guys golfing. And it's just lots of analogies with golf program picking the right tool for the circumstance you don't get try to get out of a sand trap with a putter <laughs> get the right tool okay get you don't go to the hardware store for milk you don't get out yeah, of a sand yeah, trap with a putter okay don't, don't try to drive with a, a nine iron on a par five so anyway lots of fun with that and just my daughter is down in college in north carolina she decided after some back and forth and a little pressure that I was getting to fund this, what would have been an $800 two day trip home for Easter. Mm. I let it go. I let it rest. I did not jump in and try to make decisions quickly. And it just worked out perfectly. She called mom, pressuring her to come home and me to pay for the trip. Mm. Of course, My daughter made a decision. She said, I'm decided I'm going to stay down here in North Carolina and she has a boyfriend, her first, and she's going to, her boyfriend's family invited her over to their house nearby. So she's sent me pictures of flowers and lakes and she's having a great time. So that has gone really well for her. Otherwise it's been quiet. <laughs> Just me and Rudy hanging out most of the most days and work has been okay. Finishing a big project. Otherwise, yeah, serene. I'm an empty nester. Really now, only for several months. My other daughter is 23. She's living on her own nearby and seemingly doing fine. I, I don't helicopter her. Like I used to. And I hear from her on occasion every once in a while. I hope to see her today on Easter. Her mom has plans for her to go to her house. And if we go for a walk and a hike with Rudy afterwards, great. If not, I'm going to have a nice day anyway. I might go hit some golf balls. So, yeah, nothing earth-shattering to report. And isn't that refreshing? <laughs> isn't that, it, it is. Yeah. Life has been yeah. boring. Isn't it wonderful? Oh, God. I love boring. <laughs> I used to hate boring. I've been, I've been skiing a few times in the last month, once with both my daughters in, in an afternoon place that's only an hour and a quarter away. We had the most unbelievably fun time. For them, this was just Instagram on steroids. We couldn't get down one run without seven stops for photo ops. 
But it was beautiful. It was absolutely gorgeous. We skied from about five until seven thirty, eight o'clock at night. Mountains lit. And, uh, I had a wonderful time and then went out to dinner together. So yeah, I cherish the moments, but I don't demand them anymore. That's <laughs> yeah, a big difference. Yeah. Okay, looking forward, actually, I'm going to play a voicemail from Colleen, who has a topic suggestion and has scheduled a time to talk about it. So topic idea that she signed up for, we're titling The Effects of Recovery, which I think was also suggested by Esther in a previous episode. We're signed up to do that at the beginning of May, so there's some time for you to think about the effects of recovery or the isms of alcoholism. And I think in an email, she clarified the isms that I have because of the alcoholism in others in my life. We welcome your thoughts. You can join the conversation. Please leave us a voicemail or send us an email. And Eric, how can people do that? You can call, leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now, 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversations from your computer. You can also send a voice memo or email to feedback at the recovery.show. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic, decision-making, or any of our upcoming topics. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. Like Colleen did. Yeah. Our website is therecovery.show. We have all the information about the show, including notes for each episode, links to the books that we read from, the blog posts or articles on the web that we talked about, videos for the music, and so on. So just go to therecovery.show slash 354 to find those things for this episode. We'll take a short break before looking at your feedback. And our second musical selection, also available as a video on the website, is Choices by George Jones. I picked this one as being a little more maybe neutral than should I stay or should I go? But he definitely talks about the fact that there are some important things that, that he had to make choices about. Here's the chorus. I think I've had choices since the day that I was born. There were voices that told me right from wrong. If I had listened, no, I wouldn't be here today living and dying with the choices I made. So a little bit like, Oh, I'm regretting some of the choices I made, but it's a good song. Let's hear from you now. Jeff says, Hi, Spencer. Thank you for your service. In a recent episode, a listener voiced an interest in an episode about grief. I think it's a great idea. I wanted to offer a resource, too. Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on InTheRooms.com, there's a free meeting called Codependency, Grief, and Relationships, hosted by Sophia Claudel, Ph.D. She is a licensed therapist, but makes it very clear that it is not therapy. And while inspired by and for folks working 12-step programs, the meeting is an open topic share on the subject of grief and relationships. I've found it a very healing and powerful space for peer support. And Sophia offers great tips and holds a very safe space. She might also be a wonderful guest on your show. And Jess sends a couple of links about grief that I will put in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 354. Pam left a review on Apple Podcasts. 
She says, I am so grateful to my sponsor for telling me about this podcast. As a new member to Al-Anon, I have so much to learn. Just listen to your detachment episode 188, as I was so confused and lost on how to lovingly implement this concept. Wow, you hit the nail on the head and answered so many questions and doubts in myself that I had. I'm hooked. It will be a loyal subscriber. Can't wait to hear and learn more. Thank you so much for your service. I'm so grateful. Three exclamation points. Thanks, Pam. Reviews in Apple Podcasts can help people who are trying to decide whether to check out the podcast. Thanks. Amanda sent a voicemail. Hi, everyone at The Recovery Show. I have been listening to some of the backlog older episodes around the traditions. It was either the last tradition episode or maybe the guest host episode. And Ruth, who I absolutely adore as a co-host when talking about people who are maybe thinking about being a co-host or thinking about writing in, she said, do it. I can't wait to hear from you. And I just so agree. Yeah, I just wanted to write in and say that I really love that sentiment. And I really love how many voices and experiences we get to hear on this incredible platform. And she also said, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing it poorly. And that was a total higher power moment for me because I've been really thinking about perfectionism, letting go of my perfectionism and how the three P's for me, the perfectionism, paralysis and procrastination, not in that order, but yeah, how much that is for me. And it was just totally incredible that I heard that, um, especially because I was thinking of I've been thinking for a while now, oh, I want to write into the recovery show and say how much I appreciate the tradition episodes with Ruth and the concepts of service episodes with Akila. how wonderful and really insightful it is and how much it helped me using these incredible Elon principles in my own daily life. It really takes it out of the maybe technical world service, how really how accessible it is. And I kept thinking like, oh, yeah, I'll do it later because I need to think about it better and word it better. And I heard that and I was like, oh, it's if it's worth doing, it's worth doing it poorly. I'm sending a completely imperfect voice message right now. I didn't think about it beforehand. I haven't written it down. But the thought of me doing that was what was... um preventing me from sending this voice note in. And my sponsor said, done is better than perfect. And if things are perfectly imperfect, if we have to use the word perfect, it's perfectly imperfect. I really heard that message upon listening to those episodes. And yeah, I just got so much, I got so much out of the tradition and concept episodes. I would love if anyone wants to do them again, because there is so much wisdom in the traditions and concepts. And I really haven't even thought about the general warranties. There probably is good stuff in there, too. And I forget where this is from entirely. I think it's, uh, see, talk about imperfect here. Re- it's, I think it's from reaching for per- from personal freedom, but I can't remember. So it's the line that says, the steps show me how to love myself. Traditions show me how to love others. And the concepts show me how to love the world I live in. In From Survival to Recovery, they talk about, in Step 12, they talk about how, like, Alan gives us a roadmap for life. And I really like that when I have a problem in my life, maybe it's a problem with myself, okay, what spiritual principle, what step can I look at 
to help me with that. Or if I'm dealing with a problem with relationships and communication, okay, what tradition can help me with this? And then if I'm having a problem with, I don't know, in service and an organization and a work setting, then maybe a concept of service can help me here. And Al-Anon is a spiritual program. And I love that we have, we don't just have the 12 steps. We have the 36 spiritual principles with the steps, traditions, and concepts. So yeah, I just wanted to give an extra shout out to how great those episodes are, especially responsibility and authority with Akilah. I've gotten so much out of it. And I think I wish as a newcomer, there had been more meetings on that because to be honest, it was really hard for me, especially as a newcomer to like the concept of being powerless over my alcoholic, powerless over things. But it was much easier for me to say that I'm not responsible for my alcoholic. I'm not responsible for those consequences, decisions. I'm not responsible for X, Y, and Z. I'm grateful I'm learning that now from the concepts. Of course, it's all coming at at a right time. But I have a hunch that if I had, as a newcomer, I had over and over been told I'm not responsible for it as concept the concepts tell me I may have been able to let go a little sooner than just hearing you're powerless you're powerless because I yeah it was really hard and scary to let go of that I don't know maybe that's just what I'm thinking today who knows I if that's that true but um, yeah so thank you so much for your service this incredible podcast I get so much out of it And I can't wait to hear more. And like I was inspired today when I just heard this to call in is I can't wait to hear from other people, too, or people who have kept co-hosted in the past. Like Ruth said, do it. I can't wait to hear from you. Thank you, Amanda. I love your statement. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. And also done is better than perfect. Because, man, if I felt like I had to do this podcast perfectly every time I did it, I would never start or I would never finish. Either way. KF writes, Dear Spencer and co-hosts, I've been listening to The Recovery Show for around six months. It became part of my recovery after my qualifier relapsed after being home for the previous six months after returning from rehab. And the attempt to rebuild our marriage unfortunately failed. I will not pretend that it was solely my spouse's fault. We were both clearly trying to find our way through our own programs and many of the unresolved issues that contributed to her addiction and related behaviors and my tendency to try to fix and solve, set expectations, and create inevitable resentments did not magically disappear. I listened to the show while commuting and am currently at episode 135. I'm trying to listen to the episodes in chronological order. Yes, total Al-Anon move there. I must maintain order and follow the episodes as released because clearly they have been done so for a reason. I know. Let it go, dude. I'm just going to, I'm just going to comment here. The reason that they came out in the order they did is because that's the order that I thought of them in or that somebody else suggested them. There's no grand scheme, really, honestly. I wrote back to KF and said, I might suggest checking out the current episodes and listening through the rest of them in order. We'll see. Just a suggestion, you know. I'm writing today because I had my first Al-Anon dream last night and had listened to the related episode last week. In the dream, I came upon a situation that was being handled appropriately, but still found myself needing to contribute and solve, but only made things worse by trying to solve it again without having full knowledge of what was happening. 
Then I found myself trying to find other problems to solve that did not need solutions, all in a dream. It's amazing where my brain will go to try to justify itself. While asleep, it is striving to go back to the old comfort zone that failed so many times while awake. I'm extremely grateful for the experience, strength, and hope your show shares. The honesty and self-reflection and humor really helped me to stop taking myself so seriously and has contributed greatly to many of my personal and professional relationships. My spouse and I are divorcing, but I'm learning to find ways to find peace of mind and to stop contributing to the chaos. I'm currently reading the book, You Can't Make Me Angry, by Dr. Paul O., a double winner, and highly recommend it to those of us in the rooms that struggle with anger and other stinking thinking. Thank you so much for your efforts, KF. Alan on Dreams, oh boy. Uh, Yeah, I remember that episode. And I'm going to make a link to this book, You Can't Make Me Angry, in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 354. Okay. Let's see. Marilyn writes, Dear Spencer and The Recovery Show, I'm a member of the Al-Anon group Any Faith or None AFG in Lawrence, Kansas. I'm writing in response to the question from Michael about atheist Al-Anon meetings. Our group was formed by several people who want recovery in Al-Anon without the religious overtones. We study the principles and the tools of the program from a secular perspective. Anyone is welcome. Our meeting is on Zoom, and anyone can contact us at any faith or none lks at gmail.com for meeting information and spencer here i will put that email address uh, in the show notes at the recovery.show slash 354 and also in our online meeting information page which is getting a little out of date but i'll put it there at the recovery.show slash online marilyn continues We have had many people reaching out to us along with two other meetings that are online. We plan to continue on Zoom since our meeting has members from all over the U.S. and beyond. There are many agnostic freethinkers and atheist AA meetings, and the word is spreading about secular Al-Anon. Please let Michael and anyone else that is interested in secular meetings know that we are here. I would be happy to visit with you about my Al-Anon journey from traditional Al-Anon 30 years ago to secular Al-Anon today. I appreciate your podcast and the time and energy that you devote to the recovery community. With peace and love in the program, Marilyn I. Lawrence, Kansas. Thank you, Marilyn, for that information. I did forward it to Craig, and as I said, I will put uh, the email address in the show notes. And we got a voicemail from Lindsay. Hi, Spencer. My name is Lindsay, and I recently actually was directed to your podcast, and I just wanted to call and share. I finished recently listening to the Wisdom to Know the Difference episode, I think it was 347. It was with Esther. It really felt like my higher power had given me that episode on that specific day. Everything was just so resonant to me. I really appreciated the series of comparisons of character traits that you both discussed and how knowing the difference between for example, arrogance and assertiveness. I'm new in my recovery. It's been about a year. My alcoholic partner found himself reaching near new lows during the COVID pandemic. It was the end of last summer when I was finally took the leap and joined Al-Anon. So my recovery has been very muddy. I'm in a position of relatively high stress and responsibility in my work, and I've got a couple of dogs and a couple of kids and not a lot of time to myself to really introspect 
and clarify my thoughts. And it's been good. It's been slow, which is good. And I find myself experiencing greater clarity frequently. But the way that Esther was able to discuss her own life, her work life, in the context of recovery felt like someone unraveling a knot in my head. And just all of the things that she said, she was talking about knowing when it's worth it to put up a fight versus let something go and applying recovery principles to everyday life. It was so valuable for me. It was really clarifying for me, and I very much appreciated it. I've been trying to do some Zoom meetings. It's been challenging. I haven't really felt much of a connection with the the local meetings. And, of course, my schedule is extremely challenging to get to a variety of different Zoom meetings. So I haven't yet found a sponsor, but your podcast has been so valuable for me because it's really filling in a lot of the gaps. I just wanted to wrap up by saying thank you to you for all of the work that you're doing on the podcast and to Esther and Eric and all your other guests. It's so valuable to have you as a fellowship out in the world. I appreciate you all very much. Thank you. Thank you, Lindsay. Eric, you want to talk about the uh, other song that you picked that we're going to close with? Sure. Yeah, this is a favorite. My younger daughter used to love, she'd be in the car and say, Daddy, put on Fast Car. Put on the Fast Car song. So it's Tracy Chapman, Fast Car. It was an anthem in the 80s, I think. Yes. Whenever it came. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> One of her. To a party without somebody no. pulling out a guitar and playing it. Of course. So, of course, you got a Fast Car. I want a ticket to anywhere. Maybe we make a deal. Maybe together we can get somewhere. Any place is better. Starting from zero. Got nothing to lose. Maybe we'll make something. Me, myself, I got nothing to prove. The, the song, I, I looked up the meaning behind it and wasn't really what I got, the meaning. I got out of this that she's indecisive and she's very unhappy with where she is. Just cross the border, get into a city, we can get a job, finally see what it means to be living. And it talks about her father, I believe. My old man's got a problem. He lived with the bottle. That's the way it is. Says his body's too old for working. His body's too young to look like this. Yeah. Whew. So I quit school. That's what I did. But at the very end, she gets to it. She says, you got a fast car. Is it fast enough? We can fly away. You got to make a decision. Leave tonight or live and die this way. Yeah. yeah. Powerful song. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.